There are places in the body, in the Bible, where truth and theology meets exegesis and revelation uh, that just kind of stagger us. It's these places where we, we lean up against, we rub up against mysteries that are so deep. Mysteries that are so profound that we, we almost want to shrink away. We almost just want to say, that's too much. I can't go there. I, I, and we want to, you know, especially people like me who kind of think of themselves as armchair theologians, and we want to stay in the things that we understand, right? That's fun to stay in the places where you understand. But it's important, it's important for us to go up against the mysteries, and if nothing else, just get as close as we can to get a respect for them. It's like going to the Grand Canyon. Wherever there's a rail, I want to be careful here, wherever there's a rail, you want to get as close to the edge as you can to get, just to get, let your body receive the, the grandeur, the, the awesomeness of it. And, and we're going to do something like that today. We're going to come up to this mystery of the Bible that is so deep and it is so profound that you're not going to be able to understand it. There's going to be questions you have, I hope. But I, what I want for you is that, you, that you're able to appreciate the depth and the width and the grandeur of God's love for you. You see, what we're going to be looking at is the depth of God the Father's sacrifice and the atonement. And in these weeks leading up to Easter, we're studying Jesus on the cross. We are studying his sacrifice and what he has done for us. And we're going to start going through that in, in, in detail next week uh, and, and, well, this week. And the first thing I want you to see is the depth of God the Father's love for you on the cross. And the reason why I want to make that clear is because I think it's wildly misunderstood. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's understood at all as a general rule in American evangelical thought. We don't understand who the Father is, and as a result of that, we don't trust him. And I believe profoundly, I believe this with every bit of me, that if you understand how much God sacrificed for you, if you understand how much God the Father sacrificed for you, you'll never doubt him again. If you really understood at any level how much he gave when he was giving us his son, you would never doubt his goodness. You would never doubt his forgiveness. You would never doubt your forgiveness. You would never doubt your salvation. And most importantly, you would never doubt that he is for you. If you will have any appreciation of this at all. I think 95% of our spiritual struggles come down to one question. 95% of your struggles in life come down for one question. Your, your worries about your family, your worries about your health, your worries about your future, everything that you struggle with, your loneliness, your, uh, your, your failures, your misunderstandings of where you are in life— all of those things come down to one question. Do you trust God? Do you trust him to be good to you? Most of us don't. And I think understanding this passage of Scripture, which 
Yes, I'm going to say it again. This is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. Uh, and this one is actually true. This one is my favorite. Um, if you understand this, if you will embrace it to your soul, I, can, I am absolutely convinced it will change every day of your life. And if you understand how much God sacrificed for you, you'll never doubt him again. Please stand as we read this great, awesome text from Romans chapter 8. Hear the word of the Lord. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word shall stand forever. You may be seated. It's an outlandish claim, but I honestly believe it. 95% of your problems come down to this one question. Your problems with the Lord, which, which spring out into problems with life, come down to one question. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust that he is good? Do you trust that he knows what he is doing? Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that God is for you? Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to tackle an enormous misunderstanding. It is an enormous misunderstanding, and it is rampant, and it's it's result of a good thing and, and a good intention, all right? Good intentions are great. We all love good intentions, but sometimes we just do the wrong thing, and in those intentions, we make mistakes early. So what's happened? We've had youth ministers and camp counselors and pastors and teachers and every, uh, all, everything in between trying to explain the gospel to us, trying to make what is honestly inexplicable understandable. And so they've told us stories like this. The whole world is like a train. We're on a train. And the train is going toward a track that has been unfinished. And if the train goes on that track, then it's all going to be destroyed. Everyone on it is going to die. And God is the switch master. And he's there, and he sees the train coming, and he knows he has to flip the switch and and make the track change so that everybody will live. But there's a problem. 
his toddler son is playing on the track. And so the only way that God can save the life of everybody on that train is by switching the tracks and letting the train run over his own son. Other than the baby smallest truth that, yes, Jesus, God's son did die in the salvation of the world, everything else about that is wrong. Everything is wrong. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, the creator of space, time, and dimension, is not a toddler. He didn't wander into the wrong place. God the Father, the Lord, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, he's not a helpless little switchmaster who only has two choices. It's, it's wrong. And we believe that kind of stuff because we get it in early, right? We get, and when you get something in your mind early, it's hard to forget. When my, uh, my mom and dad, when they bought the house I grew up in for my granddad, um, they had to have the entire kitchen and bathroom ripped off and, put, and, and a new one put back on. And we couldn't hire very good carpenters. You know, we just didn't have that much money. And the carpenter we did hire, he put the hot and the cold water on the wrong sides. So from the time I was four years old, I learned that the hot water was on the right. It's not. <laughs> and that got so deep in my DNA that... This week, I was trying to wash a cup in the bathroom at the church, and I was waiting for the cold water to turn hot for like three minutes before I remembered, oh yeah, the hot's over here. When you learn something early, it just gets down there deep, right? And you know what illustrations, like the one I just told you, you know what they teach you early? They teach you that there's two gods, Right? We're not Trinitarian. There's nothing of the Trinity, one God and three persons. There's two gods in that illustration. There's God the Father who's big and strong, and he really is God. He's the God God, right? And there's Jesus who is the little God, the Godlet. And, but he's nice, and he likes us, and he gets in the way of the big mean God who wants to punish us, and he kind of absorbs all that wrath for us. But, but the God, God, God the Father, he still doesn't like us. And he's just looking, if, if Jesus is ever asleep one day, he's going to get us. And Holy Spirit, we have no idea. We just leave him out completely because we have no idea what to do with him. And that, what that does to God, our under, to what that does to our understandings of God is tragic. Because why would you trust a God who runs a train over his own son? Why would you trust a God like that? And every time something goes wrong in your life, well, it's because the God God doesn't really like me. And I guess Jesus just couldn't convince him to be nice to me today. And so he was mean. Because that's what he's like. And that's so wrong. It's so profoundly wrong, and that's why we don't trust God, and that's why we, we live a life of wondering what God's going to do to us next, and that's, that's why we never really believe we're forgiven, and we never really believe we're right with God, because he's mean. And it's just not true. 
It couldn't be further from the truth. Don't let those lies have any purchase in your soul. Don't let those lies even get close. Actually, I do, I do want you to listen close. When you start to hear those lies that God's not really for you, that God's not really on your side, I want you to listen close to that voice because I want you to recognize it and know that that is the voice of Satan and I want you to send it back where it belongs. Because God could not be more for you. Ask yourself this question. What's the only thing that God could give you that would cost him anything? Right? I mean, he could give you a planet made of diamonds. I mean, he could give you anything, right? Big deal to him. He just says it and it exists. The only thing that could cost him anything is giving you himself. And that's what he has done. He has given you himself in the person of his son. And I want you to understand that. I want you to feel your father's sacrifice in the cross. It, it doesn't, it's not a surprise to God. God's not boy, looking forward to punishing you and all of a sudden Jesus throws himself in between you. This whole plan started from the God the Father's heart. It comes out of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his son. It, what does it say here? He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all. The cross comes from God's heart. He gave him up. And that's an overwhelming picture, really. We can't even understand it. We have stories in the Old Testament that are meant to give us some insight into it. We have the story of Abraham, who's just kind of minding in his own business one day, and and he hears the voice of God. Abraham, yes, sir. I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, to the mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him there. And can't you feel every phrase just kind of getting closer and closer to Abraham's heart? Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And Abraham obeys him, and he, he, he goes on a three-day trip for three days, thinking, how is, how is God going to do this to me? Why is God going to do this to me? And, and then he leaves his men. He sees the mountain. He leaves his men behind. Says, stay, he says, stay here. Me and Isaac will return to you. We will return. Somehow, in his faith, he didn't know. Hebrews tells us he expected to receive Isaac back from the dead. He didn't know, but he knew that God was, had promised him a son, and he trusted God. And then he starts this hike up the mountain. And he, we're told he puts the wood on Isaac's back. And Isaac starts asking questions. Dad? Yes, son? I see the wood, I see the fire in your lantern, I see the knife, but I don't see the sacrifice. And it must have taken all the strength that Abraham had to say, God himself will provide the sacrifice, son. And he goes to the top of the mountain and he obeys God and he puts his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves on that pile of wood and he pulls out his knife. And at that point only does he hear the voice of God, the angel of the Lord, saying, don't do it. Now I know that you love me. 
But when God himself puts his son on the cross, when his son is praying to him the night before, Father, is there any other way? Do we have to do it this way? Can, I, do we, can you please take this away from me? He says no, and he gives his son silence. And he puts his son on the cross. And, and, it, and, and that point where Jesus says that is most obedient. Now, this is not just any father-son relationship. This is the perfect, loving relationship from all eternity. There's been one truth. The father has been smiling upon his son. His son has been smiling upon the father. They love each other like no one has ever loved anyone else ever. And at the point where Jesus is the most obedient, those of you who are parents, you know that first time, that first time your child does something just because he loves you. He, he lays down a toy or he cleans up his room or even, even if he, you're just calling him to come back to you. And he does it and, and he gets that look on his face. He kind of says, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it. And they're so beautiful to you at that moment. And at that moment, instead of running to his son and embracing his son and telling him how beautiful he is and and doing what he has done for all eternity and smiling on his son, at that moment, he turns away from his son. And yes, all the justice, all the anger that he has from every sin that has ever been committed, from every assault, from every manipulation, from every molestation, all the anger he has from every sin that's ever been committed is poured out on his son. And we don't know what that sounded like. We have no earthly clue what it must have felt like. He gave us a, just a slight glimpse. There's another Old Testament story about a father and a son. And this time it's David. And David's oldest, his favorite son, Absalom. And Absalom has started a rebellion and has kicked David out of his own kingdom. And and a war erupts. And David's men go and fight against Absalom's men. And they kill the boy. And they come back and they report the news to David and they're expecting David to celebrate that his kingdom is restored and he's going to be restored to his throne. But all he can do is weep, weep with loud cries, Absalom, Absalom! Why was it me? Why wasn't it me? Why couldn't I have died instead of you? And we're told that at that moment when Jesus died, there was darkness over the land and there was earthquakes and and stones broke. And I think that's the, the distant echoes of God the Father himself crying out, Jesus, my son, why couldn't it have been me instead of you? Why couldn't it have been me instead of you? He did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? What does that tell us? It tells us that the sacrifice was total. He, was, he gave him up completely, total, and unreserved. The most painful thing that has ever happened. The Christ, the second person of the Trinity, accursed by the Father for us. 
for us. And as you begin to open your heart to that belief that God is for us, I want you to understand that the most extravagant, the most costly, the most beautiful gift that could ever be given has already been given to you. You already have it. You already have it. And what does that mean for us? It means that our Father's judgment is complete. He has is, he is decided that He is for us. He has declared us beautiful and righteous. What does that mean? Well, Paul says, who can even bring a charge against us? Who can even accuse us of anything? God has justified us. Who could possibly condemn us? Christ Jesus has died for that condemnation. It's all done. But you know what the answer is, don't you? Who brings charges against you the most often? You do. Do you hear the unbelief in that? Oh, God, I know you... I know you gave your eternal, precious son for me. But Lord, I lost my temper. Is your eternal son enough to cover me losing my temper? God, I know that you gave your eternal son for me and you have forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Do you hear the implicit arrogance of that statement? God, I'm a higher judge than you are. Right? Your son is not enough of a sacrifice. I need to add to that sacrifice by beating myself up for a few weeks. What do you think you're really going to add to that? Or apathy. Do you see the arrogance in apathy? Lord, you gave your son for me, but that's, I don't know, that's not worth worshiping you over today. Or just the unbelief and worry. Lord, you gave your eternal son for me, but I don't know if I can trust you to give me a job. Do you see the insanity of that that statement? If God loves you so much that he gave his son for you, how will he not with him give you all things? Then we can trust that whatever he gives us is for our good. Whatever he withholds from us is for our good. Because we know that he loves us. And some of us just insist on feeling condemned. And I want you to understand that your Father has given His Son for you. Do not dare to condemn what He has justified. Do not dare weigh your obedience against His gift. You can trust the Father. He's given His Son for you. And we can trust your Father's love. You can live confidently in a world, a world that, yes, is filled with pain and sin 
and enmity against God and death. And God's aware of that and he is redeeming that and he is using you to do that and he's using your sufferings to do that. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. We're still going to be considered like sheep to be slaughtered at times. And, and we're not called to a life of, of victory after victory. We're called to a life of self-sacrifice and service. And that's going to be hard and it's going to be ugly, but it's not going to separate us from God's love. It's not. He's given his son for you. And so we can be sure that neither height nor depth, nor Satan, nor earthly rulers, nor things in the present or in that ugly future where you always are asking yourself, but what if, what if all those what ifs, none of those what ifs, are going to separate you from the love of God in Christ our Lord. None of them. And I just want you to receive that. I want you to throw away the garbage, wrong ideas you have about God being the mean God up there who's just burning ants with a magnifying glass and Jesus having to come to him to be the nice guy. And I want you to see that God has loved you so much that he gave you the only thing that could have cost him. And you can trust him. And the next time you're afraid, the next time you're worried, ask yourself the question, can I trust him? And let this Bible passage answer the question for you with a resounding yes. Please pray with me. Father, you have given so much for us. We're so valuable to you. I pray that we would feel that value, that we would know that you've spent too much on us and you're never going to let us go. And I pray that we would live and act and love and serve out of the joy that that good news brings us, that we are the most beloved of them all. Father, we confess that we've had terrible, wrong images of you in our hearts. And because of that, we just didn't think you were trustworthy. And Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth. That you love us with a love that will never let us go, that has depths that will never be plumbed, that have heights that will never be scaled. Give us the grace to believe that, we pray in Jesus' name.